welcome to the podcast, Pod Ipsa Locator, a podcast for Connecticut trial attorneys by Connecticut trial attorneys with your hosts, John Kennedy and Mike Walsh. This podcast recorded on Friday, September 11th. Hello and welcome to this episode of Pod Ipsa Locator. Uh, this podcast, as I mentioned before, is sponsored by the Connecticut Trial Lawyers Association, the CLE Committee, which stands for Continuing Legal Education. Uh, my name is Mike Walsh, and I'm here with the co-host, John Kennedy. And just a few words um, before we begin. We're very excited about today's episode. Our uh, our guest is uh, Judge Jim Abrams, uh, the Chief Administrative Judge for Civil Matters. Before we speak with Judge Abrams, I want to follow up on just a few things from our last podcast. As you might recall, at our last podcast, we were discussing Governor Lamont's executive order and the statute of limitations provision, which was either extended or told, depending on the way you look at it. And one of the questions we had last week was, would it be extended beyond September 9th? Well, we now have the answer to that question. And the answer is, it has been extended and it has been extended to November 9th of this year. And for those of you who want the details, it's Executive Order 9A. We still don't know the answer as to whether or not it's tolling the statute of limitations or not, but we do know it has been extended. The the second thing I wanted to mention to our listeners is Practice Book 23-68, and that's a practice provision you might not have looked at recently or at all. I can tell you it was new to me when I looked at it just recently. And that's a practice book provision um, that recently has been modified by the Rules Committee of the Superior Court, at least during the pendency of the emergency order. And what it does is it, it allows for witnesses to appear by interactive audio-visual. And it also gives the court the authority to order that a trial proceed by interactive audio-visual. So it's, a, it's an important practice book provision, especially in these times, for us all to be aware of. And then lastly, I'd just like to mention what's going on. Some interesting developments just recently. As many of you know, yesterday, Chief Justice Robinson issued uh, an editorial that was published in the Hartford Current. And probably one of the most important things he said was that jury trials would start in November. I don't know if that was an aspiration or a statement. Maybe Judge Abrams can help us with that. But it's a very encouraging and interesting comment by the by the Chief Justice. And then just in today's current, there was an article in which Judge Abrams was was quoted extensively. So it's a it's a very interesting and, and uh, timely time for us to have Judge Abrams with us. And so we're excited. And so without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to John. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I'm gonna introduce Judge Abrams who really needs no introduction. He has a very important and unique perspective for the podcast we're doing today. Uh, he's a former actor. I didn't know that about him until I read about it. He's a former <laughs> legislator. Of course, he's a trial judge. He was elevated to the bench in 2007. And as Mike said, he's the chief administrative judge for the civil division. And important to all of us listening today, he's a former trial lawyer. So he's uniquely qualified to talk about some of the things we're going to talk about this afternoon. Before this week, as Mike mentioned, there were many, many questions. There still are a lot of questions. But one of the questions before this week was, when were trials going to start? And on Thursday, as Mike said, Chief Justice Robinson's editorial appeared in the Hartford Current. And this morning, there was an article in which J. Abrams, our guest, 
today was quoted extensively about what the plans are. And I'm going to open it up with a pretty broad question, Judge. How did we get here? And can you give us a glimpse behind the scenes as to how we got to this point and what the branch's plans are in terms of implementing the plan as we understand it, which is to start trials, both civil and criminal, in November? Well, John, to answer your first, the first part of your question, the only way to survive right now, at least in my job, is never to look back and ask how we got here. <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> We're here. Fair enough. Fair you enough. Know, uh, we've been in, uh, it was either May or June, the chief court administrator appointed a, a jury trial restoration working group. It's uh, co-chaired by me and now David Gold, who's the chief administrative judge for criminal. It was Joan Alexander before she went up on the appellate court. Uh, the other judges are Judge Barry Stevens, Judge Lisa Morgan, Judge Robin Pavia, Judge Maureen Keegan, and there is a fifth, and of course I'm not remembering, and I'm gonna get a big <laughs> Also staffing the uh, committee, or the working group, are court ops personnel who were both with criminal and with civil. And it's been our charge to figure out how to conduct both voir dire and jury trial. And I'm chairing the jury trial. Judge Gold is chairing the voir dire section. I, I have some idea what they're doing, but I can talk with far more authority about what we're thinking in terms of jury trial. Every, okay. one, I, I don't want to just have a, a soliloquy here, but what we've discovered, I guess we've surprised, is that in order to safely conduct a jury trial, it really depends on the physical location you're dealing with. And as everybody's everybody's listening to this, we have a patchwork right. of courthouses in the state that run the gamut from, I mean, I'm sitting in the New Haven JD right now, which was built when I was in high school. And then the other side of the spectrum is Torrington, which apparently, I haven't been there, but I've heard is quite impressive. Well, let me let me jump right oh, in there. Beautiful. Yeah. It's a beautiful courthouse, but I, as you know, I practice in New Haven and I'm, I'm having some difficulty trying to figure out how a jury trial would be conducted in that courthouse. It has, has any thought been given to, for example, using a bubble approach like the pro sports have used, where you take a courthouse like Torrington that's got a lot of room or New Britain and maybe moving cases, or are you just going to do it in each individual courthouse and accommodate and alter, alter the courthouse or accommodate the courthouse? We're going to try and do it in, we've, we've identified one courthouse in each JD. And what, if you think about it in New Haven, don't think about it in terms of a courtroom, think about it in terms of a floor. Okay. So we, and again, I, I want to stress that right now, everything's still in play. This is a work in, in process or in progress. Tell which one is the correct one. Uh, <laughs> we are, we're still discussing it. We haven't issued a final report. So some of the stuff I'm saying is, theoretical and not, uh, I don't want someone coming back to me in 60 days going, you said that it was going to be, uh, right. but think of it in terms of, let's say we sealed off the fourth floor. We have, we've got our two day rear ender. Trial. I know you don't do that. Uh, our two day <laughs> yeah, rear ender. I <laughs> and I specialize as a judge, by the way. And we essentially, the jury, you know, the deliberation rooms in New Haven, <clears throat> you cannot, even, even with a jury of eight, you can't socially distance properly. So one courtroom would be the jury's room. Another courtroom might be the judge and the, and the attorneys, and a third courtroom might be the public, if it's something where there's public entry. And perhaps you have video links between the three rooms. Perhaps 
people move into where the jury is. Certainly the jury would not be in the jury box. They'd be spread out. We're working on that, but we're going to need a lot more elbow. There's no question about it. So do you anticipate, and I'm going to let Mike ask some questions, but do you anticipate, for example, in New Haven, as you said, having the jurors hearing evidence being in a different spot than where the evidence is taking place and having a video feed? Don't know yet. That's, that's within the realm of possibility. Or moving, you know, having a room where the jurors are and when it's time to present evidence, perhaps bringing the judge and the attorneys in with the witness and that's it. And maybe the court staff, but they don't necessarily have to be there. Now that we're up and running remotely, we're doing hearings. The monitor is in another room. You know, it's when I'm doing the remote hearings, it's me on the bench and a, and a court monitor. That's it. That's kind of picking up right on what you just said. Um, any thought to doing a jury trial remotely? In other words, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking about having jurors kind of spread out in different courtrooms. I'm just wondering if any consideration has been given to trying to do the whole trial remotely in which jurors would watch, you know, through video, they'd watch the trial, they'd deliberate through video. I mean, I don't know how feasible that is. I know a couple of states have tried it. Any thought about that? It's not off the table, but we're, I think we're focusing now on bringing people into the courthouse. That would be, again, that focus can change. If, you know, sure. Connecticut right now is very fortunate to be at a little over 1%. You know, if we bump to 10, you know, maybe maybe that is the route we're gonna have to take. But right now, the other thing is, I mean, we're hopeful that by March, April, there's a vaccine and we can get up and running like we used sure. to. And so this would be a stopgap measure. But if we're looking at years of this, we may have to. Right now, we're focusing on sure. bringing people in, in an environment where clearly the, the health and safety of the jurors and the participants is paramount. It's going to take longer. Mm-hmm. It's going to, we're not going to be able, you know, we're comfortable in New Haven, criminal civil, running five, six, seven jury trials at one time. We're clearly not going to be able to. That's not going to happen. Right. Yeah. Just well, because I, we don't have this. Sure. I love the idea of using practice book section 23-68 and bringing witnesses in through live interactive video. I mean, I have experts all over the country and if I can bring them in by live interactive video and present them in trial that way, you know, with, you know, maybe the jury's there, maybe they're not, maybe it's a bench trial, but at least as far as the witnesses go, I think that's, I think that's an advancement that can help us now, but perhaps help us even after this is all over as well um, in terms of, a lot yep, of these things are going to stick. The remote pre-trials, yeah. I doubt very highly that we're coming, we're going back to dragging everybody into the courthouse for a pre-trial. It just doesn't seem. A mediation is a different story. You know, the hands-on yeah, approach. I, I think under certain circumstances, uh, particularly if the if the uh, if the case is uh, client-driven, I think it's really important to have the personal touch. But on a run-of-the-mill pre-trial. Uh, where's discovery? What are you guys doing? Uh, you, you know, offer demand. Uh, who, what needs to be done? There's no reason to drag everybody in. It's working really well. I think it's working. Maybe people tell me what, it is. what I, I want to so hear. No, I think I think it is too. I would agree within, with that. Yeah. I mean, I think within it, the trial framework, I think we'll definitely some of this stuff will keep. The other thing is, I mean, I do a lot of the stuff I do. The doctor depots are done, you know, the depots are done for purposes of trial and we're playing a video for the for the right. jury. 
So if we can step that up a little bit more, I understand there are times you want the, you want the testimony yeah. to be live, but you know, to a certain extent, being a juror can be watching a television. You know, yeah, I, I have a question yeah. for you, Judge, in, in, about jurors. Uh, one of the things I read in the article that you were quoted about was that if jurors have a, a comorbidity or a concern that they might be able to be excused from jury selection. And given the reticence of some people to sit on juries to begin with, is there any concern that too many people will use that, the COVID-19 as an excuse not to come to jury duty? And how do, how does, how's the branch plan to address that? Is there any way, any thoughts on that? I think we're planning on, and this is the other subcommittee, with the summons sending something saying, you know, check this box if you have comorbidity factors or whatever, and allowing people to opt out at that point. My feeling is as a judge, I don't want anybody in that jury room who doesn't want to be there, but right. not everybody should. Uh, but what we're going to, with a, you know, a checkoff system where people can opt out, the people we're going to get coming into the courthouse are already going to have to, are already will have been pre-screened, self-screened, but pre-screened at least as far as the COVID stuff goes. So you're going to get a jury pool where that's not going to be an issue. There may be other issues, but, you know, it's going to be, we want to make sure the people that we bring in are not people who are going to be excused 15 minutes later, that they're going to be people who are ready, willing, and able to. So yes, we'll have to, to clarify, but we're also not going to be picking any juries. So in the end, it's probably going to wash out. Go ahead, Just Mike. to clarify, Judge, yeah. on the jury summons, will it say if you have a comorbidity or will it say if you're concerned because of COVID-19? There's kind of a difference there. I don't know. Okay. That's still that's still in process. Okay. And will we'll the jurors somewhere between Will, yeah. the, will the branch be providing uh, masks to the jurors or how will Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Okay, they will be. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Okay. You know, because in the other, somebody asked me to ask this, one of our members, you know, I would assume that we would probably pick more alternates on the cases in case someone gets ill, correct? Absolutely. And That's um, right. I'm, I'm shaking my head. I forgot. What right. Yeah. And you might have to have some information about the jurors so you can do contract tracing if, in fact, somebody gets sick. Well, we're also going to have to touch base with the jurors. Let's say they're picked in early November and evidence doesn't start until early December. Right. There'll have to be another contact point right before. Have you traveled in the last, has anyone in your family sick? It's also another issue. Can you ask, we don't know. Can you ask somebody if they have COVID? Yeah, Do you, or we ask them to take their temperature before they come. I mean, that's, that's, another that, that's the other question. Yeah, Mike? boy, that's, that's interesting. As a plaintiff's attorney, your Honor, I like the thought of jury trials, but I, I sometimes think the threat of a jury trial is almost just as good as the reality of a jury trial. And my question is... It's better, is, Mike. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And so my question is... As a former is, presiding judge, he says that. <laughs> exactly. So... If, I, I don't mean to I interrupt mean, I love you, the fact I'm doing my... I'm doing my remote yeah, pretrials right now, and there's one category where it's like, this is not settling until there's a jury in the other room. And so those exactly. I kicked out to jury. Yeah, yeah. Is this going to be the type of situation, though, if, if we work out something, maybe it's a hybrid, you know, there's a little bit of, you know, video, a little bit of one in another room, and a video taken, you know, a combination that seems to work. But what if, I, I won't make it a defense counsel. Let's just say either counsel, because it really could be either counsel. What if either plaintiff's counsel or defense counsel says, no, I don't want to do that. Will it be the type of thing that the court system will say, no, we've got a system here, it's working, 
everyone's got to do it or will it be the kind of situation that it's only by agreement of council that the trial will have to go forward? That never occurred to me that we would allow people to opt out. Okay. And that, again, it gets back to the threat of a jury trial. A lot of times is what we need in place in order to move the case. And if there's an opt-out provision, then it, it kind of defeats it kind of defeats the purpose. I'm running into people now, lawyers now say, no, I only want an in-person. I'm like, uh-uh, no, you know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. want COVID to go away, but it's not going away, at least yeah. right now. <laughs> you have to right. do it. Right. You have to do it the way the practice does. You have to do it, and you'd have to do it remotely. I think you get a better view of the person when you're doing it remotely through Zoom or iTunes, because when you're in a courtroom, you can be 40 feet away from the witness. And if you're the judge, a lot of times you can't even see the witness because the witness is in the witness box and the angle of the bench is such that it's hard to see. At least with Zoom, you've got a video screen. You can see from, you know, from the chest up, you know, you get a really good analysis of their facial expression. So I quite candidly mm -hmm. think Zoom and iTunes sometimes is better if you're worried about witness reaction. Go ahead, John. You yeah, has, um, has the, have you given any consideration as to what cases are going to go first and what or what types of cases? Are there the cases that have been passed over are going to be the ones that we start with? I know some of them got new dates. Some of the This cases isn't going to make anyone listening to this podcast happy. Yeah. But criminals getting first priority. Well, that's the other, that was my next question. Criminals yeah. going to get first priority. So. And how do we, you know, they, they're, they're operating on the trial issues. They're... There are people who've been sitting in jail for a year waiting for their trial. I mean, we'll have a track for civil, but you know, I I I think it's going to at least initially probably be a small track. Okay. Well, so when we say November, for the sake of argument, jury trials starting, is it more likely that obviously the criminal cases will start the process before the civil cases? No, I I, I think again, I think they'll be on separate. I predict there will be we'll get a civil verdict in. Okay. And just well, what Mike, Mike was that. asking before, using like 2368, which would be great to use in a med mal case, which we do a lot, but is it likely that the first trials will more likely be something simple with a couple of witnesses that, that so you can try things out or how, how will that work? I don't know. I mean, there's, I, as you mentioned before, I'm a recovering PJ, so I don't have to worry about that <laughs> stuff anymore. Right. But I mean, there are two schools <laughs> of thought. One is to move big cases and limit you know, not have as many jurors sitting here for not bringing in a lot of jurors. The flip side of that is do your, you know, one day of evidence rear accident, rear end accident and lower the number of cases on the docket. Right. I don't, I, I, I think that will be left up to each individual PJ. I don't to, know. To Mike's I will, point, I, th I think you need the fear <coughs> that the case is going forward, whether it's a med mal case with yep. 20 experts or a rear end collision. Yeah, we probably won't announce what the, if there is a priority, it probably won't get announced. So everybody- I, I got you. Here. Two things. One, uh, we were doing, at least here in New Haven, for the smaller PI cases, we were doing a lot of court. I mean, boom. Right. Though we're capable of doing those now. So if right. anybody's staying, I try mm -hmm. and push it in my pretrials. If anybody's, you know, getting frustrated about the, uh, about the jury backlog, just ask for a court side and you'll get it with it. The other thing is, I think we all remember back 25 years ago in New Haven, you had to wait five years. Yep. I mean, if we're net, COVID could stick around for another two years, we wouldn't be in that. We were, the problem in March before it hit, the average age of a jury trial statewide was one. The problem was not people right. waiting for their jury trial. It was that 
people were getting forced to try cases they weren't ready to try. So we were in such a good position that if we lose a year, we'll be okay. okay. You know, it's going to be rocky. For, let's say there's a vaccine in, in March. It'll be rocky until the fall. You know, there'll be some backup. There'll be some, but we'll get through it without a problem. You know, again, that, we're not yeah, going back me, to the old. Makes me wonder whether the trial dates within 18 months might be, it might be a different number down the road because of that. that you might have to move that out a little. Right. We'll have to see what, we'll see the lay of the land in the spring and figure that out. Judge, one of the questions I, I had is once we do start, um, there is going to be an enormous backlog, like you just mentioned. Has Judicial given any thought to, aside from getting jury trials up and running, which I think is a great thing, even if it's only a minimal amount, because we have the threat of it going to, I think that's great. But any thought to like, uh, I don't know, a mediation blitz or, you know, some way to address what I think is going to be a pretty big backlog in most JDs of civil cases. I I haven't heard discussion of it. That's also probably something once we're up and running and sort of have a handle on what kind of back what kind of backlog we're working with. I mean at this point none of us really know how big the backlog's going to be. Could be it could be not that much bigger than it is now. It could be twice as so I think it depends on where we are and how many people are knocking at the door asking us to try their cases. Mediations are happening. Yeah. We're doing them remotely. So anyone who wants a mediation, file that JDAR and we'll get it done. Okay. To your, to Mike's point, it, you know, the other ways to get business moving, which you've mentioned, Judge, which courtside trials and mediation uh, and, and the like are certainly a great idea. You know, I remember back in the 80s, maybe even the early 90s, when we used to have a Christmas blitz of pre-trials and there would be a week or two weeks where you'd be uh there'd be and not only judges but sometimes volunteer lawyers from who are plaintiff's lawyer they sometimes they pair a plaintiff's lawyer and a defense lawyer together and they try to get rid of cases and those things were pretty effective you know i just think that might be a good idea to help try to you know make the backlog a little shorter if you can do it we what we feared when this started and we knew we were, weren't going to be able to do jury trials, is that the insurance companies would fold their arms and say, we'll talk, it's time to do, when you, you're back up and running and doing jury trials. I have not found that, depending on the insurer, the ones that are difficult were difficult. But I think, you know, at some point, the reserves that they're holding become so mammoth that they're going to have to cut deep. So maybe year-end is, is the time to look at them. Okay. Yeah, I, I've detected it a little bit, Your Honor. And, and a lot of times it's not that they won't talk at all. I don't think any of them have been brazen enough just to kind of fold their hands and say, I'm not talking during COVID. But they do, I think, I think they shave a little bit off value. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't know on the bigger cases if they're coming to the table with the amount they would have been coming with if they knew there was a jury trial. In so to the extent I have seen some reaction from insurance carriers i think it's in value not so much total reticence to, to doing it and hopefully um, that, hopefully you, if we actually have trials in in 2020 i think that may help because then the fear is that you could be the case that's going forward and that right that's the theory i guess right i would agree with mike though that i think there is some some sense that some carriers and particularly in some of the larger cases not that they're they're uh, saying we're not going to pay now. They're saying, well, you can take the. They're, not, they're suggesting you can take the money now, or you can wait, kind of thing. Right. You know, that's yeah. that's the sense. Yeah, I've heard that quite a bit. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I mean, John, you do mediations. Have you seen have you seen a difference in approach with the carriers and the mediation? In, only a couple of times, but a couple of times, yes. I mean, a couple of times, the the statement will be made. You know, well, it wins the trial. The trial's not not in the near future. We don't know when it's going to be, so that's all we have today, kind of. But but generally speaking, it's if they come to mediation, that means they want to get rid of the case. Yeah, one of the uh, we we collected some questions prior to today's podcast from our organization. We we had sent out a notice and we got some interesting questions. But one of the questions that we had, and this really it isn't so much your decision, but it's an interesting issue, and that's offer a compromise. Uh, you know, the governor kind of issued this this executive order which said all deadlines basically having to do with civil litigation are extended. And so a lot of people in our organization are wondering, well, if you file an offer of compromise, can the defense counsel just say, well, I've got a total extension, so it, it doesn't apply at all. And I know that's really more a legislative question, but to the extent it does affect us in the, in the you know, judiciary, it's an interesting question as to whether or not they can make that argument. And it does take away one of the tools that we usually use to try to progress the case you know it's an interest um, I, I, I know your honor <clears throat> no but, okay i guess yeah, thanks for saving yeah. me i probably can't. but i think that's a yeah yeah that's certainly a colorable yeah. argument let me put it that way it, it is and and if anything it's you know it's an argument that perhaps maybe we should at least for that part of the order try to take some from the governor's office i don't know have you seen any statistics your honor just as to what it looks like in terms of how many cases you know, resolved, not resolved compared to last year and what's going on? No, I can't tell you how much of my time has, yeah. been, has been focused on evictions and foreclosures. I would say of my CAJ time, 70%. So I haven't, I mean, anecdotally, really? I'm doing between four and eight free trials a day. They're not settling at the same rate. Okay. A lot of that, yeah. though, has to do that there was there were three months where no one was doing it. So they're really not yeah. in the, there's still depots that need to be done that would have been done in April. There's still, for the most part, the cases I'm seeing are not in shape to settle, that they haven't checked the boxes they need to check more than yeah. that people aren't willing to settle. Judge, I just, uh, there's another question, and Mike reminded me that, that when he talked about questions from people in our organization. I was asked the question as to whether jurors will be required to show a, co a COVID test that was negative before they, before they come. Is that something that is likely or do you, you anticipate having any requirement like that? We're still in the, that's still in the, in the discussion phase as to what specifically we're going to do before we let people. Okay. And, and another I question. I'm, I'm confident we're going to the air on this. One of the questions we got, and at first I read this and I thought, that's a crazy question. And then I read it again and I said, well, maybe that's a good idea. <laughs> so I'm going to throw it out there and just ask in a more general sense if you've given any thought to it. One of the questions was, since nobody can use movie theaters right now, why don't we use the movie theater to conduct the uh, voir dire? And, it, you know, you spread the veneer men or veneer persons, I should say, throughout all the seats. So they're nowhere near each other. You know, you give the indoctrination and then you find a room somewhere and you take them in one by one. I, I guess I'm going to make it a broader question. I think that's kind of a specific question. But a broader question would be, has judicial given any thought to perhaps moving outside the courthouses to other facilities that could maybe accommodate, accommodate the trial process? A little more smoothly, maybe even you know third-party vendor or something like that. Any any thought given to that? 
It, there was some discussion, but we rejected it pretty quickly. The security concerns, everything yeah. involved. We'd have to sort of reinvent. It's not real, but we'd we'd have to basically take the show. You know, if we used like a high school auditorium or something, have to be a metal detector. They have to be the marshals. Have to be right. the work that would be involved. Almost every courthouse has a large jury assembly where if you don't call in a hundred jurors and instead call in 20, you could operate in those rooms clearly within social distancing protocol. So I think we have the space we need within every courthouse if we use it correctly. You know, the other thing I was thinking, Judge, is, you know, with a jury trial, uh, as a, when I try a jury trial, I like to see what the jurors are looking at and what their facial expressions are. Are they likely to all to be wearing masks during the, uh, during the trial? They may be in another room too, but are they all going to be wearing masks or do we not know all the details on that kind of? Oh, we don't know. Will the lawyers be wearing masks when they question and the witnesses be wearing masks when they're quite being questioned? We don't know those details yet. Don't know. I mean, that to a certain extent, that may be the trial judges. I mean, I don't think the trial judge is going to be comfortable telling a juror, you have to take off that mask. Because Attorney Kennedy wants to see if you're frowning when his his, his client is. I want to see those smiles when I come into the courtroom, Judge. (laughs) Here's a question, and I've got to ask this in the right way because it's a it's a hot issue in our organization. So I got to make sure I don't ask it in a biased way. Individual vlog gear, to the extent judicial is tackling so many problems right now and we realize that we do realize this is a herculean task and you know we don't i hope you realize that the members of the bar you know we want to help we don't want to criticize because this is something that's unprecedented and we know that um, so please understand that but the individual what right to what dear you know sure i know this is something that everyone's got a view on but i'm going to ask it because i think members of our organization will want me to ask is that being preserved? It, through all of these thoughts of how to do things and how not to do things, is the right to individually question of an error preserved, respected, or is judicial thinking, maybe this would be one way to perhaps get away from individual voir dire. I don't think we can unless we convene a constitutional convention, can we? I mean, isn't it in the constitution? Sure it, yeah, it is. Yeah. That's a naughty yeah, little I problem. Right. I, don't, I don't think we can just go. Yeah. It's gone. I think we might... Yeah, I think that might be yeah. problematic. Okay, thank you. Well, I, I join um, Mike in that, Your Honor, you? is that we're, we're, we're looking to help as, as an organization, and I'm sure the defense lawyers and the Bar Association, the trial lawyers, we all want to be part of the process if we can be and help and suggest things if we think we can help. And obviously, the judges are involved. I would imagine that you're getting a lot of help from the people who are doing the, the clerks and the people who are doing the the actually logistics in the courthouse as to how to physically do it as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, the facilities people in court ops have been great helping us because we've done an analysis of the courthouses of the 12 JD and that'll be part of our report. But this, I want to stress that this is an ongoing process. We're not going to issue a report at the end of September that's going to be locked, set in stone. This is going to be, this is going to be, we're going to be constantly adapting to the situation on the ground. So I don't want people to think that we're not receptive to input as, as things are going on, because we are. Okay. And so when you say, is there, will there be a report at the end of September that's subject to change? Is that, is that the plan right now? I, I suspect, I don't know if it'll be a okay. formal report or we'll just sort of tell 
uh, judicial what we think. I'm not, it's not clear at this point if we're producing a formal document. Okay. And what would you want from us? What would you want from the trial lawyers? Anything at all, Your Honor? Well, as things, you know, as things proceed, particularly insights from experience. So as we start getting up and running, some input about this is working, this isn't working, here's what I like, here's what I don't like, that's the most useful. And just go to your presiding judge and communicate that? Would that be the best way to do it? Or Well, be selective as to, you know, there are some people who are more receptive <laughs> And I wouldn't judge at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I mean, one of them. I'm not receptive to him, so don't call me. Yeah. You know, actually, Mike says, how are the judges doing? You're all back to work, at, or back to in the courthouses as of Monday. Or this yeah, last but the Monday. civil, I, okay, here I can that get on my anything? soapbox for a second. Yeah. The civil judges have been working No, I, I, I'm not, I wasn't suggesting they no, weren't. No, I know I was, you were, but, but I'm, what I'm asking is, is, do you notice any difference once everybody's back in the courthouse? I don't know. You know, we're going to be doing, I've been back about three, four days a week for a month or so, but I'm basic. everybody's going to basically be doing in the courthouse what they've been doing from okay. home since yep. May. I mean, short, we started doing short, non-arguable short calendar early May, started the remote pretrials. We're doing hearings. I like to do hearings from the courtroom, but last Friday for various, some to do with the fact that the window cleaner was around and my wife had to go to Hartford. Uh, I did two, I did two ro remote hearings from my dining room table. I brought my rope and I looked. So, I mean, instead we'll be doing those from the courthouse. I don't know that, I don't know that the uh, consumers of our service are going to see that much. Okay. And in Hartford, I know they've got three, I guess, video equipped courtrooms, but I'm not sure what that means because any judge really can do like a hearing from their own computer, their own laptop, I assume. So what does it mean when they say the courtroom is video equipped? There, you know there has is? to be, this, this is what, at least what I understand. There has to be a nexus, a physical nexus from which every, not any, I don't know that anyone has to be in that room, but the monitor who is not in the courtroom, who is somewhere in the building, hooks in, there are, I think we have three in New Haven, hooks into that courtroom. The judge can be in that courtroom or not in that courtroom. The clerk can be in that courtroom or not in the courtroom. The attorneys are not, but there has to be a, there, there has to be, it's called a virtual courtroom. And there is, for some reason, I don't know why, has to be a physical. Oh, okay. Okay. John, I, I think we try to I think uh, keep our podcast between 30 and, and 45 minutes. And I think we're right about that time. Again, I just want to Thank you, Your Honor, for coming on. These kind of these kind of questions we all ask about, and it's so valuable for us to, yeah. to get the answers. So thank you. You're crazy busy right now. We really appreciate you. No, I appreciate it. And I on. hope you don't mind that some of the answers were I right. don't know. I, well, you know, Your I Honor, know. I want to thank you too. And, I, and I'm wondering whether as things go forward, whether we might get you back on if, if we want to talk again about how we can improve things or how you can have us improve things too. It goes to, goes both ways. But I'm I happy to do that. I will, I, I will also say, I think on October 5th, there's a joint CTLA, CDLA that Judge Holzberg is moderating. Yes, Attorney Roberger's in the office yes. next to mine mentioned that to me a couple of times. Okay, yes. so that's something people might be interested in. Uh, maybe we can, t the podcast can tap into that and we can make that a, a episode of the podcast. We should talk about that. John. We will. That would be interesting if it's public. Thank you, Judge. Um, so thank All you, right, Your thank Honor. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, thank I really you. appreciate it.
and have a nice week. We you appreciate too. it. Okay. The same to you. And I'm just going to make a couple comments about the next uh, broadcast. In two weeks, we're going to be interviewing Secretary of State Denise Merrill. The subject is going to be voting in Connecticut. It's a very timely issue, especially with a lot of the issues that are rising right now with uh, voting in Connecticut. So uh, we all urge you to look out for that podcast. John, do you have anything you need to say in closing? No, I'm good. Thank you, Mike. Okay, thank you, John, and look forward to uh, seeing you again in the next podcast. Thank you for joining us on Pod Ipsa Locator. The number to contact the CTLA is 860-522-4345. Their website is located at cttriallawyers.org.